Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast with me, Caroline Foran. This week, I'm thrilled to be joined by a returning guest and someone who has been very influential in my life, both personally and professionally, and that is the international best-selling author, Sarah Knight. She first wrote The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck. She went on to write several well countless more she's still there's no stopping her her latest book is called grow the fuck up here we chat about another book of hers called calm the fuck down which is so important for owning it listeners and it's all about anxiety and we drill down specifically here into sarah's own personal experience of anxiety um, as well as how to communicate that anxiety with people in your life before discussing all of what's in grow the fuck up which includes lots of really helpful scripted almost advice around um, creating more boundaries and managing conflict at work having difficult conversations and lots more i know that this will be as helpful for you as it has been for me sarah is so refreshing and her book is out now enjoy sarah knight author of well i mean i've actually lost count at this stage how many books has it been uh well we'll go with six full-length books six full-length books couple of journals there is no stopping you and thank you so much for joining me on owning it the anxiety podcast it's been a while it has thank you for having me back I feel like the last time we spoke I actually I feel like I only there's like life before I had a child and life after and anything that came before is kind of gone so this feels like a fresh brand new conversation to me. <laughs> just lost to the annals of time but we are here to talk about Grow the Fuck Up, which I'm so I'm so excited for. I, I was asking you, is that is it out already? It is out, yes. It, it is, is out. out now. I hope it's going so well for you. It's another incredible piece of life advice. So tangible, so digestible, just something that people can action right away. And I really want to get into a lot of what's in that because it's so relevant to my listener, especially navigating the workplace and difficult conversations and things like imposter syndrome and feelings of, you know, people pleasing and all that kind of stuff. But before we get to that, because we haven't spoken about it since you were last on, you did come out with Calm the Fuck Down, which was so perfect for owning it It, like exactly the kind of book that my listener would uh would really want to read so if if it's okay with you I'd love to ask you a little bit about the anxiety side of things and then we'll move on to grow the fuck up sure absolutely ask away what I found really lovely to read about in that book was that you were so forthcoming with the fact that you yourself had or or do experience you know anxiety and you've been diagnosed with uh, generalized anxiety disorder I think so often we read these books and you know think of the person writing them as just this expert who has all of the answers and you know you're actually going through it too and that's really nice nice to hear and that you can you're so relatable as well so I would love to start by asking about your own experience of anxiety is it something that has always dominated or been a feature of your life 
So uh, it depends on how you look at it, because I think for a long time, I didn't know that I had anxiety. So I would have told you that a dominant feature of my life was not feeling particularly well and having an upset stomach and being a little short of breath and changing my mind about wanting to go out and, and you know, carry on with plans that I had made. Um, eventually, when I was in my 30s, I really kind of discovered, oh, this is what's been going on with me. And that was thanks to a panic attack that I had, my first panic attack, which was at my office. Uh, I was working in publishing at the time in New York City. And I, to make a long story short, I passed out in front of my coworkers. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and when I kind of you know, came to and had a conversation with the on-site nurse. We actually had an on-site nurse at Random House back in the day. Um, she said, you know, how old are you? What's your life like? You know, any any big things going on in your world right now? And I had just planned a wedding and gotten married and gotten a new job and bought an apartment. And she said, you know, I think this was an anxiety attack. And do you know what those are? And have you had them before? And I was like, oh, great. This is another thing I have to deal with. And it took several years, honestly, to really get more educated about what that meant for me and how to treat my anxiety, how to try to avoid getting to a point where I was passing out in front of people. Um, and I really, you know, it was hard for me. It was hard for somebody who's such a control freak, who's so type A, who identifies with being, you know, on it all the time and being good in a crisis and being the person that you can go to if you need to get something done. You know, it turns out that just both what I'm naturally inclined toward anxiety-wise, certainly runs in my family, um, and what I was doing, you know, willingly taking on too much and had too many balls in the air and was just really burnt out for a really long period of time all contributed toward this. So it was really hard to, it was hard to look for help in part because I thought, well, if maybe anxiety is what's made me so, um, so ambitious and so successful, and if I lose that uh, that's that control freakiness and that sense of drive, like maybe I'm not really the person I thought I was. And I got I got past that out of desperation because I really had to make some changes. And that's when I started, you know, going to see an anxiety specialist and I started taking meds and I started journaling and I started doing things that I never thought I would do because I really needed something to work. And so now I'm 44. I would say I've been on top of this for almost 10 years. Uh, I have good days. I have bad days. I have extremely difficult long periods of time, such as a little thing called the lockdown and COVID pandemic, which I can't even say that's over really, but you know, it, it was really bad for about two years. And, um, you know, and I'm just kind of here to tell the tale and I appreciate the opportunity to be candid and to be honest and to say to people like, look, this is what worked for me and maybe it'll work for you, but I'm not, you know, I'm not a behavioral psychologist and I'm not a scientist, but like I am a person who has suffered pretty badly from anxiety and panic and depression too. So I'm always happy to talk about it and calm the fuck down really gave me an opportunity to do a deep dive into that topic. And I think that's what people really appreciate. I know myself when my anxiety was at its worst, I didn't just want to hear from experts who were just quoting from some medical journal. I wanted to, like you say, hear from someone who had been to the depths of anxiety that I'd been to or the, or the heights, if you want to, because I guess it's like you're so up here worrying um, and lived to tell the tale and come through it. I really wanted to be like, OK, I can see myself in that person. So it really is so beneficial for someone listening that you are not coming out of a perspective of I've done the doctorate in this Um. I think when you describe the anxiety or when you came to that point of realizing that anxiety was something you were dealing with, it sounded like there was a whole lot of circumstance going on and that can be really tangible, you know, stuff for people where it's like, okay, this makes complete sense as to why this would happen. This would happen maybe to anybody. Um, when you removed yourself from that situation, did like when you were got the diagnosis, because I think over here in Ireland where I'm from, they're they're a little bit less likely to just say you've got generalized anxiety disorder. It's probably more likely here and in the UK to be told you're experiencing anxiety due to, you know, these circumstances. And and I've never actually, even though I'm host of the anxiety podcast, I've never been told that I have a disorder. But I'm just curious, I'm not even sure what the question is here, but when you changed that circumstance and you removed yourself from that very, you know, you, you had come off the back of the wedding and the planning and the very, very high, um, high powered, high pressure job. Did you then feel like, OK, that's past now or actually I am I am someone who is 
has always and might always be prone to this regardless of my circumstance. The latter, for sure. I mean, in Come the Fuck Down, I talk about it as capital A anxiety. You know, you are a person, an anxious person who has anxiety disorder, and it can flare up at any time uh, for all kinds of different reasons. And sometimes it seems like there's no reason. I do go into detail in the book talking about how you can kind of find the reason if you if you look hard yes. enough. But um, but then lowercase anxiety is like situational. It's like anybody might get into a, a situation where they're just overwhelmed and, and burnt out and there's too much going on and they might feel stressed. And this is something that, you know, comes up a lot in my marriage because my husband is just not a person who has experienced anxiety or certainly has not experienced depression um, in any way similar or or approaching the levels that I have. And so it definitely like took a really long time, not only for me to figure out what was going on with me and accept what was going on with me, but to be able to explain it to someone who hasn't experienced it to kind of say like, as it turns out, I'm not just sort of sickly and, and, you know, somebody who just like bails on plans and, you know, and is, and is kind of like flaky, like, this feeling that I'm having when I tell you I suddenly don't feel good, it is a physical feeling that is manifested as a result of these mental um, issues that I'm having. And so that's something that I think when you say you wanted to hear from people who actually experienced it, I think it was so important for me. I read a book uh, called High Anxiety, like, hi, like, hello, High Anxiety by Kat Kinsman that really helped me a lot because this was somebody who was just saying, just everything that I had been experiencing, some of the stuff that I had been embarrassed to admit I had been experiencing. And I thought, oh, oh, I'm not alone. Even though logically and rationally, I knew I wasn't alone. Um, it was just really helpful. And so I think that's why this podcast is so helpful to so many people, because you are, you're not only getting experts on to talk to you about things and talk about solutions and what and whatnot, but also people who are just experiencing this, because it is really hard for some people to to understand. Like, it's like you're speaking another language to people who have never felt this. So I think it's a really important service. Thank you. Um, what you say there is just touching on what I think could like deserves its own whole episode, but your, your husband um, who hadn't really experienced it anywhere near the extent that you had and, and neither had mine. Thankfully, you know, I've considered myself very lucky in that my husband and, and my close family were very receptive to me saying, well, this, even though you don't feel it, this is what it feels like for me. And they kind of had to see me fall to the floor to realize, okay, she's not, it's not just like today, she's just in a funny mood. But you, to me, across all your books are like a master communicator. If that's, if there's a theme that carries through, it's really how to like cut the shit and just like really effectively say where you're coming from. Um, And something that people struggle with anxiety wise, not just communicating in in you know difficult conversations but actually communicating the anxiety itself so I would love to ask you having been through it yourself and having scripted so many of these conversations across all the books if someone is listening and they're saying okay I understand my anxiety like that's not the problem I get it I know that I'm anxious I know why I'm anxious but they're experiencing this I guess um added anxiety of but my parents or my family or my partner or my closest friends, they don't get it. How would you, and I'm putting you on the spot here, how would mm -hmm. you offer or suggest that they try? Because it's so important. Well, it is for me so important that the people in my life understood. They didn't have to experience anxiety, but they had to like believe me. How would you go about communicating anxiety to that extent, the big A anxiety to someone? I mean, the the first thing I would say is just, you know, to be very honest and like to be very clear and and almost blunt with people because it's the kind of thing that can sometimes feel a little bit like, like, oh, this isn't polite, this isn't for polite conversation. Like this isn't just a casual thing you can throw in and in, in the conversation. And so if you try to say, listen, I'm feeling very anxious right now, and somebody will be like, Oh, yes, haha, you know, I know I get it. No, it's fine. You're having a rough day. And you you have to kind of say, like, hey, like just just put on pause. I want you to know that we've been sitting here, you know, having breakfast or we've been in this car ride together or we were just at, you know, Disney World all day. And I want you to know that this entire time I have been having, my chest has been pounding or I've been having racing thoughts or I feel like I can't breathe. And if you're sitting across from me right now and you don't see any of that, I want you to know that that is what's happening to me right now so that when I say 
hey, listen, I'm feeling very anxious. I need to pause this conversation, or I think I need to clear the calendar for a couple of days because I'm going through a period of anxiety. I want you to, to know that you had no idea when we were sitting across from one another in this car trip. That's something that I feel has been very powerful to explain to people that you can't see it going on in my face. And I'm telling you right now that all of this is happening inside of me while I'm trying to keep it together. Um, that's one thing that I have found has been really useful because it really, it's like, people are like, oh, like you're telling me something really serious right now. And like, really? Like you've been masking this? And I'm like, yeah, I'm masking it all the time. And then there will be the times when I can't, you know, when you do watch me go into a full-blown panic attack or something. And so if you understand how bad it has to be for me to break, sort of break character almost, mm -hmm. um, then maybe you'll be quicker to understand and kind of listen and note when I say, I'm feeling a little anxious right now. I don't want to have this conversation or I'm going to go upstairs and lie down feeling a little anxious. You know, now I think after years and years and years, and again, it took me understanding this about what was going on first. I can't fault my husband or anybody else for not getting it when I didn't get it. But it's not just, oh, Sarah's Sarah's having her vapors. You know, she's she's just piecing out and like going up and laying down. It's like, oh, she's doing that because like it is like it's go time. Like she needs to what my anxiety doctor would call is downregulate. In fact, you made the gesture about how you feel filled all the way up here above the top of your head. It's like, you know, I need to get it all the way back down here, like below the sternum before you can kind of rejoin polite society. Okay. Um, so I would say, you know, don't be afraid to be honest. Don't be afraid to be very clear and very blunt and not kind of try to dress it up in a lot of explanation, but just say, hey, just so you know, a lot going on in here right now. A lot of stuff happening. I'm trying not to cry. I'm trying not to freak out. It's been happening for the last eight hours. I've been doing a really good job putting a good face on it. But when I say I'm I'm feeling anxious, like this is sometimes what anxiety looks like. It looks like you don't you don't recognize it, but I do. So you gotta listen to me when I say that that's what's happening. Another question that I get asked a lot, and I think this would relate a lot to the sentiment in grow the fuck up is if someone is single and they're just, you know, dating someone and they're thinking when or how do I broach the topic of if there's someone who is struggling with their mental health, because, you know, you don't necessarily want to come down like a ton of bricks saying I have this big thing. And I, I completely understand the anxiety around communicating that anxiety when it comes to the dating pool, even though you're happily paired off, how would you advise communicating it in that stage of life? Um. Well, with the caveat that I have basically never had to date. <laughs> I went right from having, you know, a couple of boyfriends in college to meeting my husband in 1999 and we've been together ever since. So thankfully I have not been on the scene. Uh, I would say this, everything I know from all of my younger friends and even my contemporaries who are in, in the dating pool is that, um, there's a lot more understanding these days among people of all ages that things exist, you know, chronic illnesses exist and mental illness exists. And, you know, you, you can say like, oh yeah, no, my college roommate totally had anxiety. Like I get it. Like, I think we need to be a little bit less kind of afraid and ashamed of just saying it, just saying, by the way, like I have anxiety. And so if you ever see me getting a little like, that's probably what that is. And, you know, don't, don't be alarmed or whatever it is. Um, I think that, you know, again, honesty is the best policy because you don't want to get into any kind of situation with someone that you're dating who really seems like a long-term, you know, prospect and then drop on them, you know, a year into it, by the way, I, you know, I have major depressive episodes. <laughs> like you probably yeah. want to bring that up. Um, and chances are, I think that a lot of people have had people in their lives who have had um, various, you know, whether it's mental illness or physical illness or limitations or other other things that they'll be like, oh yeah, no, I, I get that. My my aunt suffers from that. Or like I said, my childhood best friend or my college roommate. Um, so I think we need to be just a little bit less worried about the kind of shame factor. And I'm not saying that you necessarily put it in your Tinder profile, um, but maybe you do, you know, maybe you want to <laughs> completely do away with uh, anybody who would otherwise swipe on you if they can't handle you, you know, and your anxiety. But I think that it is really okay to to just be upfront about it and and you don't have to turn it into kind of a, you know, a, a dark and stormy date. Like you can yeah, just like, say. Like I need to tell you this, this potential deal breaker. I mean, we all have mental health and sometimes it's 
poorly and sometimes it's hopefully most of the time it's it's good but we all have it we don't all have mental illness but we all have mental health that's you know can be vulnerable sometimes something that I love in um calm the fuck down is your few method p-h-e-w productive effective helpful worrying and this is what I think across all of your books is just like oh it's just such a it's a tonic this lack of shoving positivity down someone's throat when <laughs> they're very aware of all of you know it's just it's just annoying at this stage to just you know good vibes only bullshit sometimes worrying is what you need to do sometimes it's very effective sometimes being negative and thinking about the worst case scenario and thinking through all the what ifs and you know catastrophizing is actually something you need to do talk me through productive effective helpful worrying and how to what if for good and not for <laughs> bad uh so this is you know again something that works for me because i really can't just turn off the part of my brain that is thinking through all of the potential scenarios and preparing for the worst and honestly like this part of my anxiety and part of my ability to plan ahead and my desire to do so has helped me in a lot of ways in my life it's helped me head off bad situations before they have to occur and it's helped me prepare for the worst so that when it happens i'm ready um but you know catastrophizing is where it becomes not helpful and healthy for you and you're just kind of zoom, zoom, zooming with no benefit. So my idea behind productive, helpful, effective worrying is that if you can't stop yourself from thinking it over and you can't stop yourself from running through the scenarios, like try to focus on the parts you can control because anxiety feeds on worrying about shit you can't control. And if you can refocus and just shift your mindset to say like, okay, that thing that happened, it happened. It's done. There's nothing I can do to change it. I don't have a time machine. I can't go back. But what about the fallout? Can I control or can I mitigate? If you're worried about something that hasn't happened yet, and I go through these categories in the book, like shit that hasn't happened yet, shit that already has happened. Um, if it hasn't happened yet, you know, how likely is it to happen? If it's not likely, maybe stop worrying about that thing and focus on something that is likely to happen that you can worry about. And it's just really a matter of saying, listen, your energy here is not useless. It It is something that you can use to help yourself, you know, like I said, avoid bad situations happening if you're prepared for them to mitigate the fallout if they happen anyway. Um, and then you can feel more in control about you know, using your anxiety as a force for, for good. And, um, and I think that it's something that like, I hate being told in the very beginning of the book, I say, you know, I realize that calm the fuck down is like the least important thing, <laughs> like the least, you know, acceptable thing to be told to someone who's in the midst of a full-blown anxiety crisis. But what I'm also trying to do is like very bluntly, as you said, in very no nonsense way, say, all right, like if you're having this crisis, you're having it. I'm not trying to tell you you're not having it. I'm not trying to tell you that this thing doesn't suck. I'm not, you know, like I'm not judging the fact that you're going into an anxiety spiral over something that wouldn't send me into one and I hope vice versa. So take that energy and use it productively. You know, at least at least you can do that for yourself. And and I'm constantly taking my own advice all the time, so I can tell you that it does work, you know. It's not not foolproof, doesn't work all the time. We're all human, but it really does work if you can kind of just shift that mindset a little bit. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com 
slash host. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Moving on to Grow the Fuck Up, um, congratulations on another brilliant book. What made you feel or what was it that you felt you hadn't said or covered that you thought deserved to be in this book? Great question. Um, I was really, I kind of thought, you know, oh, maybe I'm done. You know, I've written all these books and I've, I've said, you know, I've, I've covered very specific topics that are near and dear to my heart. And then I got to thinking and it, it was inspired by a couple of things. It was, it was pandemic times. I was having a, a bit of a mental nadir, uh, myself. Um, and I had some, I had another book that I was trying to write and it wasn't really happening. And so I sort of set that aside. Uh, and also my brother and my sister-in-law got pregnant for the first time. And so I was, I was about to become a first time aunt and I have a lot of aunts. They're all child-free the same as I am. So I've had this like really interesting and kind of unique experience of having this community of women having taught me lots of different things about the world and about myself. And in addition to everything, you know, that I learned from, from my parents and my teachers and everything growing up. So I just had this little idea, this little kernel where I was like, what do I have to tell sort of young people? And what, you know, like maybe that's something that I could talk about where I could almost pull from get your shit together and calm the fuck down and you do you and create sort of a blueprint for just like living um, the, the sort of easiest, most pleasant version of adult life that you can possibly live. And, you know, where Get Your Shit Together was very focused on goal setting and motivation and achievement, your own personal goals that you have for yourself. Um, Grow the Fuck Up is really a much broader look at how to be a person in the world, not only how to make your life easier and more fun and more pleasant, but also how to be that for other people. And that's why the subtitle is how to be an adult and get treated like one, because there's a lot of benefits, you know, yes, there's some drudgery. Yes. There's stuff that you really wish you didn't have to fucking deal with. Um, but you do cause you're an adult and there's nobody else who's morally and, and legally responsible for doing it for you anymore. So the better you get at it, also the more trusted and respected you're going to be by other people in your life. They're going to leave you alone to get your work done because they know they can rely on you and depend on you. So they're not going to be hovering and bothering you and, and, you know, being pesky. Um, and there's also things like if you have, you know, if you have the resourcefulness and the, and you can take the initiative to plan a great vacation, you can go over wherever you want. You don't have to be beholden to where your parents wanted to take you and you don't have to be beholden to a better organized friend. Um, if you make your own money, you can spend it how you want. You know, there's a lot of inherent rewards in being like an adult and acting like one. And as I started working on the book, I realized, oh, people, people need this. All kinds of people need this. It's not just about young people. It's not just about people who are starting out. I know a lot of 30 and 40 and 50 year olds who could use a little bit of a, a primer in what I sort of maintain are the three pillars of adulting, which is maturity, responsibility, and accountability. Um, and even I, and just like in all of my other books, I have been able to admit in the pages of this one, the places where I needed a little bit of uh, a little bit of hardcore instruction. So, and that that would be in the admitting I'm wrong, accepting criticism, and apologizing. That's all in the accountability section. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, I definitely. It when you, I love the way you describe it as like it's it sounds like something that's for young people who are starting out, but actually there are so many of us who are supposed to have our flying colors at this stage and maybe it's like I don't know about in where you are but in, in Ireland with the driving test you get you do the test once and then you never ever ever do it again and then you're a terrible driver by the time you're 10 years in and you could probably really do with a primer on how to not mow people down on your way to the shop so honestly it's it's, it's criminal that I have not had to take another driving test because I got my driver's license when I was 16 and I you should not put me behind the wheel of a car but I still have it <laughs> so. and I have this conversation so often with my friends where we it just dawns on us you know we're all in our mid to late almost 30s and thinking 
the amount of experiences we're having that we thought we would leave behind when we entered adulthood that we thought we would leave at the school gates or especially with women and I hate to say it but I just feel like Barry my husband and his friends if they do have an issue they'll be so much more likely to just say it there's not all this kind of subtext as there might be with women and I've had like so many experiences where I just thought you know why can't you say what you're really feeling like you're an adult and grow up and I just resort back whether it's with my family I can so often resort back to being like a 16 year old we all just kind of adopt the dynamic that we had or the roles that we had when we were last all together and um, so at Christmas time and you know different different times of the year like I'm suddenly like this moody teenager where my brother's you know he's the favorite one and I'm like the difficult one and you just fall back into it you're like you're fucking are you the old. oldest no <laughs> oh <laughs> because I'm the oldest and the girl and I am definitely the difficult bossy one and my brother is six years younger than me and he is definitely the favorite <laughs> So my brother is six years older than me and he was the favorite. He couldn't do a thing wrong. And I was like all mouthy and I was told your mouth will get you into trouble one day. And it did, but in a good way, I like to think. Um, But just that even though we're an adult, we can kind of fall back in or with friends, especially we can feel that feeling that you thought was like a primary school level issue of, of you know, what does she actually feel about me or think about me? So there's so much in it that is probably more necessary for adults these days than people who have, who have yet to make the transition into adulthood there's a couple of things I would love to um tease apart you mentioned some of it there um how to say sorry so conflict in general is such a and I think we we just want to I don't know many people who like go head first into it with you know with confidence um so whether it's a broaching conflict where you feel slighted but what I want to start with is you know, what if it's not them? What if it is you? Because I feel like we live in this world where we're just constantly told now, you know, your feelings matter and where you're coming from is valid. But sometimes you you have been an asshole. Sometimes you were a dickhead. Sometimes you were in the wrong. And we're, you know, we're so afraid to say that these days because we can always spin it and make it seem like the world is against us. Yeah, I mean, and I'm sort of the queen of not sorry, right? Because in my first book, The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck, was all about, you know, making decisions about what's what serves you, what makes yes. you happy, getting rid of the stuff and the people and the relationship and the tasks that don't, and not being sorry about it. But that is all based in the idea of being honest and polite and not being an asshole. So when I encourage people not to apologize for things that they have every right to think and do and feel and decisions that are perfectly valid and good for their lives without having intentionally hurt someone else on the path toward doing it, that's when you can say, listen, I'm not sorry about that. I'm not going to beg and grovel for forgiveness for something that I was absolutely justified in wanting to do. On the flip side of that, I think that for me, and again, this is for me, not an expert, not a scientist, don't know how it works for everybody, but one of the reasons that it's hard to apologize when I am in the wrong or to admit a mistake that I've that I have clearly made, like when there is evidence that this is a mistake and you made it, um, is because it sort of almost compounds the trauma and the shame of having done it in the first place. Like you have to dig that back up to issue an apology. You're you're admitting what you've done wrong or you're saying I was a jerk or you're saying I shouldn't have I shouldn't have done that I shouldn't have said that and it's like you're 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 asking for a moment where you have to relive that trauma um and I what I suggest in the book because this is what helps me is to reframe the idea of apologizing as liberating to say like I don't have to stay up lay awake at night for the next week replaying this scenario in my head where I was you know, I was a bitch to my friend or I really blew it in a meeting or, you know, whatever the, the issue is that you need to admit to and apologize for. The quickest way to end that is to just say, I'm sorry and move on. You know, that is when people will be like, thank you or great, now go clean it up, you know, and and then you don't have to have that ongoing kind of re-traumatizing situation where you're thinking about it and thinking about it. Just say, I'm sorry. It's very empowering. It's very liberating. Um, also, if it helps for you to think of yourself as a bigger person, um, sometimes the way that I am able to muster an apology is because I'm like, huh, well, look, even if I think the other person also did something wrong here, I'm the one that's willing to apologize for it. And that <laughs> makes me better. And you know what? If that's what gets you from point A to point B, 
so be it. You know, in addition, my husband infuriatingly good at admitting when he's wrong and saying, I'm sorry right away. So little healthy competition <laughs> that, that also never hurts. Um, but I do think that it's this idea of like, if it feels bad to admit that you're wrong or to accept criticism and it feels bad to apologize for that because you're because it compounds the badness of admitting that you did something wrong, like reframe it so that it feels good. Be like, okay, I'm done with that. That's off my list. I apologized. We're all moving on. You know, just rip off the Band-Aid, start over. It's the quickest path to restarting the clock. Sometimes we're so in our head about things that we said or did or how things have transpired that it's hard to even identify that maybe we had a part to play in something. You talk about how to be your own bad cop. Like how can someone even if they're not, if something's not being resolved, at what point do you think, hang on, what was my part in this? How do you identify that within yourself? I mean, I think a big red flag is, have I had to be asked twice? You know, have I had to be asked three times? Like, has this come up more than once? Because maybe the first time you could fob it off and say, oh, you know, so-and-so is just being overly sensitive or that's not a bad topic to bring up, uh, you know, at a dinner table. I don't see why they think that. But if if somebody has to ask you multiple times or multiple people have to ask you to stop doing something, to not do something, to please rethink your your stance on something, um, then that's a clue that maybe you should be paying attention. And I actually write about this in the section of Grow the Fuck Up that relates to your health and well-being, specifically your mental health. And you talked about this a couple of minutes ago, like, if, if more than one person has to more than one time suggest that maybe you seem to be having a tough time, might want to look for help somewhere, you know, your friends and family are typically not accusing you of being mentally unstable for shits and giggles. <laughs> They're saying we're worried about you. We've noticed that maybe you're having a hard time. Love for you to talk to someone. Have you thought about X, Y, and Z? It can feel like you're being attacked, but like, Logically and rationally speaking, most of the time people are not trying to gaslight you into thinking that you have a mental health issue that you don't, and they're not doing it to be mean, they're doing it out of concern. And so it's pro there's probably some validity there. Um, so I would say that you know if you have to be asked more than once, or if you has, have to be asked by more than one person to, to stop doing something, to rethink a behavior, then that's, that's a sign um, that maybe, maybe it's you and maybe it's not them. Um, you know, another kind of, uh, you know, branch of this topic of like be your own bad cop and like is, is just being more self-aware in general. And I begin the book with exercises in self-awareness because nobody can be a mature grown-up individual if they can't look within and really accurately and willingly self-assess their behavior, how they're feeling, their health what they want out of their life, you know, whether they're happy in their job and their relationship, unhappy. Um, you really have to be able to ask yourself those questions and answer them honestly. And that's before you can move on to communicating those, those issues to anybody else. You have to understand them for yourself. And I think that, you know, a lot of our of our bad or, or quote, bad behavior um, can stem from not being very self-aware, from just kind of plowing through and and saying and doing things that, you know, you haven't stopped and thought about, like, how am I coming across? Do other people seem upset by this? Have people said that they're upset by this? Um, so you really do have to take those data points and be willing to, uh, you know, consider them moving forward. And this is where I talk about the three C's. Critical thinking is the first one. Like, like adults have all these data points. We have all this life experience. We've been in situations where good things have happened and we've been in situations where bad things have happened. And it is incumbent upon us to calculate going forward. Like I've been here before. This is what happened. This was bad. This was good. Like, how can I make that better going forward for myself and everyone around me? Um, and look, you know, there's there's the the evolution of a grown-up that I have in the book where it starts with actual babies who don't know anything and they're not expected to know anything. You know, you don't get mad at a baby for interrupting a dinner party. It's a baby. It doesn't know that it should be polite and, and be quiet and let somebody finish talking. Um, but then there's, you know, the big fucking babies. And those are people who've had all of this opportunity for education and to have the good behavior modeled for them and who've made mistakes and seen the consequences of them and are just unwilling 
to make any changes. You know, the rest of us who are willing to make the changes and are willing to think critically and are willing to work on our communication skills and are willing to work on our coping skills, which is the third of of the C cycle in the book, the three C's, that is how you go from being sort of an adult in age only to being a total fucking grown up. Mm, I love it. I think identifying or knowing when to take responsibility is one thing. I think for, for people listening, if they're anything like me, I will pretty quickly identify when, you know, okay, I sh- I've, I'm after, I've fucked up. For example, it could be something so on the grand scheme of things innocuous, like, if, if we were scheduled to record this evening and it was half seven and I was like, I'm after fucking forgetting and you had been there waiting and my child was sick. And even though there could be a very valid explanation and I, even though I would send an email saying, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And I would take responsibility. And I know that you would be understanding of it. I would spiral so disproportionately. I think someone who has a tendency towards anxiety won't struggle to accept responsibility, but they will take that feeling of responsibility and like beat themselves over the head with it, with the shame of having made a mistake. And if I've ever had ever, if I have ever had an issue with a friend where I've realized, okay, maybe I offended them or maybe I, you know, I said the wrong thing, it's never been enough for me to just say, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that I will spiral and I will torture myself so how do we pull ourselves back from that because that's part of adulting too is to say like I've dealt with that now accept your um if you say that's fine don't worry I need to accept that at face value but I'm thinking oh my god she hates me now this is going to color her experience of me so just yeah generally your thoughts on going the complete other end of of the scale I think that the best thing to do is to put is to reverse the the scenario and be like, what would you think if if I did that? If I had to cancel it on the last minute and I wrote to you and I said, I'm so sorry this happened, you know, XYZ, like w- would you accept that apology? And if you accepted that apology and you were like, Yep, this happens, I've totally been there, done that, you probably aren't thinking about it again after that. You know, now if I were a person, the other the flip side of that is learn, learn from your mistakes. You and learn from your issues. If you're prone to forgetting, set multiple alarms. You know, if you, if you, if you, if you are in a situation where you're like, I've set up all of these work things and I know I'm the only childcare for my, my kid for this week. Cause my husband's, you know, working, uh, out of town or something like maybe reach out to people on the front end and say, Hey, just so you know, I'm in a situation where if anything happens, if any domino falls, I'm going to have to cancel. Cause I don't have backup. Is that okay with you? Um, I've done that myself where I've said like, um, you know, I'm, I'm expecting, uh, you know, an urgent, a potentially urgent phone call with a parent coming out of surgery. We've had this appointment on the calendar for a really long time. Is it going to be okay with you if I have to pause and take that call? If it's not okay with you, if you can't work around it, we, we should reschedule now um, and get into the habit of of like heading it off at the pass if you know yeah. that this is something that might happen. And and moreover, if you know it's something that might send you into a spiral if and when it does happen, because shit happens. Uh, but I would say, you know, think to yourself, if I were in this situation and this happened, would I forgive the person? Would I stop thinking about it? And if the answer is, actually, this person does this all the time and I would be a little bit miffed and I would stop making appointments with them and I would stop making lunch dates with them. And then- that's because that person hasn't learned from their mistakes. And this is like a big, big part of accountability is not just recognizing I've done something wrong, not just apologizing for it, not even just fixing whatever fallout came from it, but learning from it with the goal of not repeating the issue. And like I said, some things just come up and like, there's nothing that you can do. Those are, those are shit storms that, you know, they weren't even on the radar and suddenly they were there and you have to deal with the fallout. But there are things and behaviors um, and situations that we find ourselves in where we're like, you know what? If I just didn't let it get to that point, this would never happen again. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make preemptive phone calls or I'm going to, you know, uh, it's like the commitment to learning from it is what makes you a total fucking grown up in the situation, even if the bad situation had to happen before you learned that lesson and were able to commit to learning from it and trying not to repeat it. So helpful. Something that comes up in the book, um, and it seems to come up in a lot of conversations I have when it comes to anxiety, 
or getting falling off the track of what's important to you and experiencing anxiety, it tends to be because we lose sight or can lose sight of what we actually value. And you have an exercise in Grow the Fuck Up called What Do I Value? I get asked this all the time and I, I feel quite clear on what's important to me, but what is your method or what's your formula for figuring out what's important to you? Because I think if you are clear on your values, then in my eyes, anxiety can sometimes you know, serve as a compass to make you realize, to point you back towards them. To, to you know, if you're if you're experiencing anxiety, maybe it's because you've gone off course of your values. So, what are values for you, and how do you how do you just how do you end up on them? So, this section of the book came out of my absolute dedication to prioritizing. Um, I have written about prioritizing in so many different ways: prioritizing what's important to you, prioritizing items on your to-do list based on urgency. I find it a really helpful way to organize my life and to organize my brain. Uh, but one thing that I think that people, particularly younger people who are maybe just starting out in in relationships, like you've never had a roommate before, and now you have a roommate or a dorm mate. Um, you know, if maybe you've never owned your own car before, and now you do, and you have to be responsible about that sort of thing, particularly professional stuff. Um, but also for those of us who've been at this for a long time, it helps to reprioritize. And so this is a, a discussion of your priorities as, as evidenced by your values in life and what's important to you. And so if your priorities are having good relationships with your friends, then you need to set aside time and energy to keep up those relationships, make sure that you're reaching out to people via text periodically, make sure that you're, you know, seeing people in person if that's important to you. Um, if you're, if you value, you know, feeling healthy and feeling good, there are a lot of people I know who are absolutely burning the candle at both ends and they're happy to do it. They want, they want all the experiences. They don't want to give up a single thing. They want to run the 10 K and they want to stay out at the club the night before. And they want to go on that family vacation and they want to do all these things. And like their value is like, their values are like having those experiences and being present and, and like basically, you know, breathing on as many people as they can in any given week. Whereas I really value my health and well-being, And I've discovered that, you know, in order to get there, like I have to get really good sleep and I can't do things, you know, I can't make plans four nights in a row. Like I just had a, a weekend full of like wedding activities followed by a weekend full of, um, of like charity fundraising activities. And the three days in between, I was just like, I mean, I was like comatose basically <laughs> because I had just like really gone for it in a way that is not great for me. Um, and so, you know, when you sit down and you say, okay, what makes me feel good? Very simple question. Is it eating my vegetables? Is it getting a good night's sleep? Is it winding down with a book at night? Is it having brunch with my friends? You know, what makes me feel good? And then on the flip side, what makes me feel like shit? Um, <laughs> and you have this list of things. And again, it can be super mundane little stuff, just kind of like big existential life issues. You know, I feel, I feel really good when I, um, you know, when I get professional recognition or I feel really good after a workout and, I, and on the other side, you know, what makes me feel like shit. And then look at those lists that you have and be like, okay, so am I prioritizing my time, energy, and money in service to these things that I claim to value? And there are going to be some times when you're going to look at those lists and be like, I'm not, you know, I sat here and I said, I sure do value a good night's sleep. And yet, look at my week, look at my month, look at all of these plans I have. How did I get tucked into these? Why did I think this was a good idea? I need to start making some different choices. And so it's really about, you know, if you want to have a good life and you want to be a good colleague and parent and spouse and sister um, and boss, you know, you have to, like, you're not going to be any of those things if you are not happy and if you are not living your life in service to the things that are really important to you and to the things that you value, then you're not, you're going to be real grumpy and, and you're not going to be, um, you know, the best person that you can be for yourself or for other people. So this is, I always come back in all my books to like, it's okay to be selfish. Like there is good selfish and there's bad selfish and good selfish is taking care of yourself so that you can give as much of yourself to others as is realistic. Um, and I think that like, it's just really important for us not to lose sight of the fact that it's okay also 
to value whatever you want to value. Like a lot of people look at me cross-eyed when I say I just, I don't set an alarm. Like the greatest gift I give myself is sleeping until I'm done sleeping in the morning. And sometimes that's 8 a.m. And sometimes it's 1130. And like, that is, that is my priority. And um, it can sound ridiculous to somebody else, but I think a lot of people's priorities are ridiculous. If it's what gets them through the day, then who am I to judge? Absolutely. Oh my God. That is the goal to get to uh, life without an alarm. That is one of my values is like, if I, well, not values, but like dreams is when I could say, I'm going to sleep. I'm not setting an alarm. Or if there's an alarm, go, if there's an alarm in the form of a child going off, it's not my responsibility to go and tend to it. That is, that is the dream. Um, something that you talk about a lot in the book and I guess it comes up in different sections of the book as well is is this whole idea of boundary setting and we're hearing so much about it these days about how important it is to set boundaries and I guess it goes right back to um you know the life-changing magic of not giving a fuck and being clear on your boundaries I feel in all the conversations I've had about it there are some cultural differences and I'm curious about your take on this because I think maybe an American more American disposition could be like you do you or I'm going to do this 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 isn't working for me but in Ireland or in the UK we're so crippled by this like just fear of seeming impolite that boundaries are something we just let slip because we just I mean that's massive generalization but for me anyway I so want to be a boundary person and I keep just letting it go and this is probably not adulting very well yeah uh, I let it go in favor of that person thinking nicely of me or wanting to be liked or wanting to appear to be so accommodating or being afraid to offend or you know really just always putting yourself at the bottom of the list and no wonder I'm still having these conversations about anxiety <laughs> <laughs> well so there's a couple of things that I would say in response to that one is I actually had the great pleasure and fortune of um, doing an interview on a show in Ireland called the six o'clock show and one of the questions they asked me involved you know how do you say no and I gave an example of like you know your sister asks you to come to your nephew's soccer match, football, I guess, match. Uh, It's early on a Sunday morning. You don't want to get up. It's an hour and a half drive. You don't want to watch a bunch of nine-year-olds screaming and running around on the pitch, but you want to, you know, have a good relationship with your sister and your nephew. And so you offer an alternative. You say, you know, I'm not going to be able to make it to the match, but I'd love to take you out to lunch after when you get back into town or, you know, could we maybe go to the arcade, you know, uh, in the afternoon or something like that. So you're offering like an alternative. And the, one of the hosts just burst out laughing. He said, I don't think, you know, Irish women, I have five sisters. And if I said that to one of them, I'd get my head chopped off. And I said, you know, to, to me, I am very big in the UK and Ireland. So there have got to be people out there who are taking my advice and maybe they're not admitting it to everybody else around them, but they're like, I needed to hear this. Like, maybe that's exactly what makes the books a success there because you all have more, more issues with uh, with being selfish and, and setting and setting boundaries. The other thing I would say is I have seen this in my own life with really close friends of mine who have watched me. I have always been, I've always been a blunt person. I've always, you know, done sort of done what I wanted, been a little bit contrarian, not listened to people saying this is how it should be done or has to be done. But I think to myself, no, the right way to do it is going to be this. But I did not really start setting very firm boundaries and things like that until I started writing these books and started practicing what I was preaching and really seeing the benefits in my life. And I have all of these friends who have obviously seen it too. And if there's one thing I can say is that when you are out there setting firm boundaries about being an asshole, just being very clear and not making a big deal out of it yourself, not saying, oh, listen, I'm so sorry, but I have to tell you that I really don't want to do this. Just kind of saying very confidently, that's not going to work for me, but I'll, you know, I'll see you at another time or here's an alternative or um, thanks so much. I can't make it. Just no explanation. Just I can't, you know, maybe it's because you don't want to. Maybe it's because you can't spend the money. Maybe it's because it's not a good idea because you don't want to be out late because you have an early morning and it's more important to you to do your early morning thing. You don't have to give a lot of explanation, but when people see you doing this, I have a feeling that a lot more of them are going to envy you and are going to want to emulate that behavior than you think. Like 
there will be people who are going to be kind of personally aggrieved and set in their ways. But I think a lot of people are going to be like, wow, you know, Caroline just said no. And the world didn't end, you know? <laughs> and then the other, the other aspect, you know, the other side of that coin is with the exception perhaps of, you know, very stern Irish moms or sisters, uh, most people don't care nearly as much about how you live your life as you think they do. They just, they really are not that focused on it. And if you say you can't make it to something, they're just like, oh, she can't make it. Mm. Okay. You know, um, I, I can't, I can't tell you who did and didn't come to my wedding. Like I just, it's like, oh, RSVP, no. Okay. Like, great. See you another time. Um, so I think you can, you can rest easy knowing that most people really don't care nearly as much as you think they do about your boundaries. Um, and the other thing is that I do think that if you're out there kind of setting and enforcing those boundaries in a diplomatic and and perfectly friendly way, there are going to be a lot more people who are going to want to emulate that. And you're going to see a lot of that behavior eventually mirrored back to you as I have over the last several years. I kind of feel like seeing it more gives me more permission to be like, okay, maybe it's more socially acceptable now to do that. Like I almost need to follow the pack in that way. Whereas I think learning how to set boundaries and knowing the importance of them for yourself is one thing, but how we perceive other people's boundary settings is just as important. Um, you know, I have to be able to see a friend say, no, this doesn't work for me without me jumping to thinking, well, she just suits herself. Like, well, of course she should. Or, you know, in our friend group, like if there's a friend who regularly just drops out or cancels out of things, you know, we're like, it, you can just so quickly get into a mindset of thinking like, fuck's sake, and not giving them the benefit of the doubt you know, so it's it's culturally and on a societal level, we have to work on our perception of other people's boundaries too. Would you would you agree? Absolutely. And I think, you know, and I've kind of addressed it from both sides in various books and in Fuck No, uh, which was the book that came before Grow the Fuck Up. I really was just like scenario after scenario after scenario, hundreds and hundreds of examples of things you might, that might be asked of you, ways to decline, you know, how to do it without completely damaging your relationships and your reputation. Um, but in Grow the Fuck Up, I'm taking the other tack and saying and encouraging people to say like, look, adults respect other people's boundaries. And it's really a golden rule kind of thing, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And you hope that people who have been reading my books for the last several years have developed ways to say, you know, that friend who's a flake, who's always flaking out, maybe that person hasn't figured out how to say yet to, to their group of girlfriends. Like, I know we have the standing Wednesday dinner date and I know I almost always cancel. And then you see me at spin class on my Instagram reels and you probably think that I'm just such a flake, but honestly, I'm so busy and work is so crazy and exercise is the only thing that gives me this like moment of serotonin and, you know, and like feeling accomplished and getting my, getting my zoomies out. And like, I'm always going to choose the exercise I realize. And it's not because I don't love you all and want to spend time with you, but maybe we can figure something out for a weekend day because obviously these weeknights are not working for me. Mm -hmm. Like there are people who haven't figured out how to say that yet. They just, every week they leave it up until Wednesday afternoon and then they cancel because they are like worried about what other people are going to think. On the flip side, if you're saying, I would totally understand if you gave me that explanation. And I certainly would hope that you would understand if I gave it to you, then maybe you should try giving that explanation. And maybe you should also, as the potentially aggrieved friend, when they do tell you that, say like, oh, yeah, okay, no, I totally get it. The problem is when none of us are being honest with each other, we get more likely to be like miffed and pissed off. You know, I've also had friends who are not my friends anymore who were absolute utter flakes with no good reasons and never any kind of apology or explanation and just kind of clearly were looking for the the best, you know, the best invite. And so they had RSVP'd to your party, but if something better came along the day before, they would do that and they would totally let themselves get caught out on it and, on social media and they wouldn't acknowledge, you know, that they were kind of a dick for bailing on you in the last minute. And those are those are not good people. And those are people who are neither respecting your boundaries, nor are they sort of respecting society's, you know, just like mm -hmm. kind of a, a moral and ethical way to fly, which is, I know people get like, they think that my books, you know, with the, the F words and everything that, that I must be this, you know, selfish bitch who just like doesn't <laughs> care about what anybody else thinks and I'm only in it for myself. But no, I am all about, like I said, honesty, politeness, you know, not intentionally harming other people. There are, there are ways to thread that needle to do what you want to do and not do what you don't want to do without having to hurt somebody else's feelings. And also just really quickly, I will say 
that I talk about this in fuck no, we are just programmed to have this back and forth. I invite you to something. You say, I can't make it. I say, oh, are you sure? Like, that's just a thing that we do. Like, it's not necessarily about trying to make the other person feel guilty, realistically Mm -hmm. thinking you're going to change their mind. It's just like this, this cultural etiquette where you're like, oh, like, I wish you could, you know, to let them know that you're disappointed that they can't come so that you, they know that you value them. But like, when we do that, we have to remember that it's just it's just part of the dialogue. And then your response is, I know, I wish I could to have a great time. And that usually ends it. Like you don't have to sit there being like, oh God, they're really pushing for me to do this. And what have I done? And they wish I could come. It's like, usually it just ends. It's like, hey, you want to come to this thing? No, I can't make it. Oh, are you sure? Yeah, unfortunately I am. Okay, great. Have a good time. There will be people in your life who will actively try to guilt you into things. And to those people, I say, your inability to say no says more about you than it does about me. And to listen to, to, to accept no says more about you than it does about me. So. Absolutely. I have learned so much from you from your very first book and the conversations that we've had countless people around the world have learned so much from you in just, I mean, I really love just getting down to the granular level of how to construct a sentence, which has been invaluable to me, whether it's over email or a work thing or, how to frame things it's been so helpful and like you have just done this massive service to people everywhere particularly women but for you coming out with out with uh grow the fuck up you're obviously still learning all the time as well what for you has been the biggest learning from grow the fuck up what for you is the takeaway there that you are applying to your own life Definitely. It's the, it's the accountability end of the spectrum. And, you know, it's for me to take all of the components of the things that I've been preaching and teaching for the last many years and remember that there's this final bit where you have to be willing to sit back and absorb everything that's happened to you, the good and the bad. You have to take responsibility for it and move forward and, and learn from it and clean up your mess. And like, it's, it is the linchpin, I think, that holds the other parts of adulting together. It is mature to be able to take criticism and admit when you're wrong and apologize. And it is responsible to clean up after yourself, to fix things that that you broke, you know? And so those three pillars the, of maturity and responsibility and accountability are kind of linked by that accountability factor. And that's the thing that I've been, I've I've been in situations, you know, I started writing this book last I don't know, last spring maybe. And so, you know, it was really finishing up in maybe August or September of last year, going through all the edits up through the holidays. And and now that it's been, you know, out for a month or so, like I've been in situations where I have had to stop and go, Sarah, you just wrote about this. You wrote about taking criticism. Like you need to, you need to go reread that section and, you know, and be better and do better. Um, so I would say that that for me, it's about taking that last little, you know, that last fork in the adult road and, and being willing to, to, you know, to put it all into the critical thinking machine and say, okay, I see what happened here. I see my part in it. I understand how I could avoid that in the future um, and move forward because that's how you that's how you improve your lives. You know, all of these books are self-improvement, right? They're personal development. And you're not going to be able to develop if you can't acknowledge your part in whatever has transpired. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And will there be any more books or do you, are you waiting for the one that you said you were going to write when you retire about how to just sit mimosas off? <laughs> <laughs> right. Why the fuck not? Yeah. Um, I am, t- I'm trying to take a little bit of time off. It's really hard for me to say that. It's so hard. I feel so privileged and weird and it activates my, my ambitious type A kind of like, uh, but I've, I've been at this for quite some time. There are 10 books in the world, six, as I said, full length, no fucks given guides, one coffee table quote book, three journals. Um, I am a little tired. And so my, my goal is to take a couple of months off for the summer and reassess. Uh, I do still have that other project waiting in the wings. There's some other new stuff that I might be interested in doing instead or additionally, but I need a little bit of I need a little bit of R and R before I can. <laughs> before yes. I well, can you forward. have you have definitely earned it, um, Sarah and I. Thank you so much again for 
just you're so many pearls of wisdom and um your way with words and your way of explaining things that makes everything seem so accessible and yeah like thank you personally for really positively influencing my life and no doubt the people who are listening to this episode as well and congratulations on another incredible book oh thank you so much i really appreciate you having me Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access a full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.